welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Hey everyone, this is Chris and welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast where we bring you great guests to help you be active participants in your daughter's lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. Thanks so much for being here again this week. Always excited to be able to bring you great guests from all over the place to be able to help you, to engage with you, to be able to really open your eyes to the world around you and finding ways in which we can better engage with our own daughters. Today, we have the major dad official. He is Nate Kelsey from out in the state of Alaska. And really excited to bring him to you to talk about some of the things that he's doing with his daughter, uh, but also some of the amazing things that he's doing outside of that to help parents to better be able to manage early life. And we're going to talk some about that too. Nate, thanks so much for being here today. My pleasure. Great to be here with you, Chris. It's great to have you too. I love. I always love hearing great bass buffundos on on the podcast. You know, the your voice resonates, and I love it. Sorry, that's just from talking on the radio for thirty eight years. No, it sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> so, one of the things that I know that I love to do with all of these shows is to turn back the clock. So we get to know you a little bit as a dad here, and uh, first and foremost, when you first found out that you were going to be a father to a daughter. Talk to me about your reaction. Well, a little bit of a backstory. My second marriage, I had three sons. And these sons right now are 25, 23, and 19. And there was a two, three-year break between the divorce and when I found my wife. And it was another three or four years before we had a baby. So one... The time frame is I found out I was going to be a dad at 53. So let's set the frame there, 53 years old. And I'd only had boys. And initially, I was like, ooh, man, how do I? I was, I was disappointed in the fact simply because I had no idea how to raise a girl. It was my own ignorance going, I don't, I don't know how to do that. Not that I really knew how to raise boys either, but I did know a lot of friends with little girls, and I knew they were different in a whole bunch of different ways. And then when she was born and I looked into her eyes, of course, I fell in love with my princess. And it's been a love affair ever since uh, the last seven years. So initially when I found out, I was kind of like, ah, so here's a complete twist. When Jill and I had our second child, when we found out it was a boy, I was disappointed because I wanted another girl. So that's how confusing being a dad could be. It's it's you just never know which way you're coming with the the pheromones, the hormones, the oxytocin, the prolactin, the the you know forming an attachment to mom or dad or child. So uh, it was kind of a crazy ride. But I'll tell you what: if, if someone thinks that boys and girls are the same, they've never raised a boy and a girl because they're absolutely different. Yeah, they're full of energy and they're they laugh and they have fun, but boy, they come from absolutely two different places in the psychological perspective or spectrum. You know, with two girls myself, I can't say that I know the difference in regards to parenting different kids, but in talking to other fathers that do have boys and girls, I hear very similar things. But to be honest, I, with two girls that have very different personalities, sometimes it's feeling like you're you're dealing with completely different types of people anyways. So, so so I definitely hear you in that regard. Now, uh, your daughter and you have ha- definitely had some experiences together. And 
for you, what would you say has been one of the most memorable experiences that you've had thus far with your daughter? Well, I'm so glad you asked, Chris. We lived in Hong Kong from 2016 to 2018. My wife and my two children, Luvi is my daughter, and Jack Storm is my son. Luvi is seven, Jack Storm is five. When we were there, Luvi was four and Jack was two. Well, while we were there, we went to a thing called the Big Buddha. It's the largest Buddha statue in the world. And it is quite one, the sight to see from the air, because you can't see it when you fly into Hong Kong International Airport, if you're landing in the, in the correct direction to see it. And two, it's just an amazing statue that you have to work to get to. And I say you have to work to get to it. You have to climb 268 stairs. And when you're standing at the bottom of 268 stairs with a four-year-old, the first thought in my mind is, how far can I make it before I have to carry her? That's, that's, that's the, that was the first thing. So we proceeded to climb up the, the, the sections of 10 stairs or 15, whatever they were. They're in sections, then there's a little landing, and then you continue on your journey. And we get to about halfway, and my daughter, she, she is just out of gas now. I can't make it, Daddy. I said, sure you can, babe. You can make it. I can't make it, Daddy. I can't make it. Yes, you can. I can't make it, Daddy. I'll get you a donut at the top. I can make it, Daddy. In that amount of time, <laughs> she went from, I cannot make it because I see no perceived reward at the top to, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll be there for that donut. <laughs> That's a great story. And, you know, it, it just resonates in regards to the fact that, you know, that that external motivation that all of us can have sometimes to be able to meet the goals that we set for ourselves. So that definitely shows that in many different ways. And, and so and here's another aspect of her. OK, so I have dealt with a weight problem, not excessive, but 20, 30, 40 extra pounds most of my adult life, especially flying as an airline pilot. It's kind of the standard issue. Get in the seat and here's 30 pounds to carry around with you in addition to your luggage. And so I adopted a, a philosophy of you have to earn your carbs. Okay. If you don't earn your carbs during the day, you don't have dessert when it, as it applies to my kids. So as I tell them, hey, have you earned your carbs today? And if they do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, they earn their carbs. If they do their ballet and tap, they earn their carbs. If we do yard work or if I have them working where I know they're actually doing physical work in this, they earn their carbs. Well, one night, Louvie and at, at, like every night after dinner, daddy, can we have ice cream? No. Very clear. No, you did not earn your carbs. She goes, well, we did that. I said, come on, baby. You didn't really earn your carbs. She goes, okay. Before I even draw my next breath, she has brought the chocolate, the vanilla, chunky monkey, and another ice cream to the table and say, so what would you like? I mean, she was like, so we have all these options. <laughs> I said, did you, did you not hear the no part of, about dessert? What was that? She goes, oh, I, yes, I understand. But, but look at the, yeah, chunky monkey here, which is your favorite. And we also have some chocolate and we have vanilla. And I said, okay. I said, I, no still means no, but because you are such, such a persistent advocate, we'll do a blueberry smoothie. So I made blueberries and made it into a smoothie with banana. So it, it satisfied the sweet tooth a little bit. But again, it's not a carb load like a couple scoops of ice cream. It's just a couple of blended up blueberries. But she was absolutely, I mean, she was focused on getting 
dessert. And it was amazing how she she accomplished that. You know, it's funny to see how resilient kids can be and, and how innovative and creative they can be when they really want to be too. And and, and that's a perfect example of getting around something <laughs> to be able to, to to get to the end result, even though the parent does say no. But I'm, I'm proud of you for sticking to your guns. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In regards to in regards to that, because it's sometimes hard to stick to your guns when you have your daughters keep looking up with you and pleading with you to be able to do that. But it's and you sometimes just have to do that. You're right. And for men, uh, one of their most important characteristics a man could develop is the ability to hear the word no and to say the word no and mean it. Now, what would you say has been the hardest part of being a father to a daughter? Realizing that she will grow up and be dated by other men. Initially, it's like, oh man, I'm sure she might run into people that were just like me. And that, and that, that usually terrifies every father, right? <laughs> so I developed the philosophy to, to ease my pain, my mental anguish. I told her that she could leave the house when she finds somebody that treats her better than I do. Is she ever going to leave the house? I, she, she may not. I don't know. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I know that that's yet to be answered. We have another twenty three years before she's thirty years old, Chris. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Yeah. Now, what would you say is your biggest fear in raising a daughter today? Well, I tend not to to dwell on fears because once you enter the fear aspect of of thinking about the future, your mind goes in all kinds of crazy places. So, what I tend to do instead is think of ways I can mitigate potential risks in my daughter's future. So two years ago, I started her in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And for those of you that are not familiar with it, it's the ground fighting skills that every MMA fighter uses. Every one of them uses Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And it's designed for a smaller, weaker opponent to basically do okay against a larger opponent and actually submit them. So that is one of the things I did because I realized I will not always be able to be there with her, but that is my investment and gift to her for her ability to take care of herself without relying on anybody else. So that's one. The other one is having her be aware of her surroundings. I ask her things when she goes somewhere. What do you see? Who are you seeing? Be aware of what's going on and not be, well, one, they don't have any smart devices, but having their head up and looking around when they're in a public place or even in our yard in Alaska. I mean, we have nine acres that's surrounded by a whole bunch of other acres and we have moose that come from our through our yard all the time. We haven't seen a bear yet, but we we've been had children and my wife were charged by a adolescent bull moose and that's that's pretty frightening when you think about a thousand pound animal wanting to stomp you with its hoofs right <laughs> so awareness and that just in parcel of trying to raise a, a a human that's aware capable and productive as far as it, how I, I think of it. You know, I have actually heard stories of bull moose here in Michigan, um, up in the UP of Michigan, and people warning and saying, if you see a moose, I mean, basically stop and back up <laughs> and go the, go, go the other way because you do not want to get in their way and you don't want to frighten them because they can be very violent and they're huge. Mm-hmm. So th- teaching them to be aware of their situations, especially in situations like that, where you do have animals like that on your property or around your property, and, and there is the possibility of them being able to, them running into to an animal without be, uh, being aware and knowing what to do at that point is so important. 
Yeah, there are more people killed by moose in Alaska than three or four times as many killed by moose than bears. Because people want to get that selfie, get up there close, and stomp, stomp, stomp. That's like the people that get too close to bison. I just don't get it. <laughs> I, I, I don't get it. You know, you, you hear, you, you yeah. see stories of people that are like, well, I got to get a picture with this bison. And I'm like, oh, that's not mm. smart. So it's, it's just not going to turn out well. It's just not going to turn out well. No. <laughs> now, some of the things that you're talking about really go down to kind of health and fitness. And it sounds like you're you're doing a lot to be able to get your kids to stay healthy and stay fit um, while they're young. And I know in conversations that I've had with you that you've gone on that journey yourself to be mm-hmm. able to become fit. I'm going to say at a little bit older age too, because, and and you've had to do it while you have had some some barriers in front of you. Can you talk to me about some of the barriers that you had to overcome to be able to get to the fitness level that you, you are at now and some of the things that you had to do to be able to get there? Certainly. And the first one begins with an awakening of basically what I was unaware of. And this occurred to me when I was about 57 years old and a friend, and I was 40 pounds overweight. I'm, I'm a fairly big guy. I'm six foot and I could carry 250 with not much of a problem, but I had a 48 inch west waist. Okay. So 48 inch waist, that's a lot of, that's a lot of fat. Anyways, I'm having a conversation with a dear friend and he asks me if I've ever seen any really fat 90 year old men or women. I'm like, no, I, I, I really can't say I've really seen any really old fat people. No. And then what about a fat 80 year old? It's like, well, I think there's maybe a couple grandmas out there, but not, not many more. And then he talked about fat 70 year olds. Oh yeah. There's, there's a little bit more of those. And then about fat 60 year olds. Oh, there's plenty of those. I'm, I think I've seen plenty of fat ones. And he's, and you get anything out of this? And it kind of dawned on me that if I wanted to see my little daughter and son graduate from high school, I needed to make some serious changes because carrying around extra fat is just not where it's at. Now, the setbacks that I had in my way comes in the form of over a dozen surgeries from overuse while in the military. Just to go through them, I have spinal fusion in my neck. I have two spinal fusions in my lower back. I've had my left and right shoulder operated on. I've had my right wrist operated on twice. I've had total knee replacement on both knees, and I've had uh, both ankles operated on. So those things by themselves sometimes can be used as an excuse not to do what needs to be done. But I found that even just walking and being hydrated is enough to change your your physical composition. But what I did find that is the magic of hard work came to me in the form of kettlebells. And for those of you that don't know what a Russian kettlebell is, it's a it's a strength implement. It is a low tech, high yield exercise device, and that, along with uh, the right coaching from a coach of mine who has a a, a, a Instagram Movement Squared, he's a doctor of osteopathy. He wrote a paper about me because he could not believe what I was able to do, uh, given my condition, having what he's seen. But it has to do with will for one, and it has to do with the difference between discipline and motivation. Motivation will not serve you in the long term. Discipline will. So I harnessed the discipline that I learned over the course of my previous 40-something years, having been in combatives. And I've always been physically fit. I just had extra fat around me. And I never really thought that 70% of your body composition has to do with what you put in the hole under your nose and not so much how much exercise you do. So kind of in a nutshell, 
<laughs> I think that one of the things that I think that I would ask, though, is this. You came from a military background, which really instills in you discipline. Because if you don't, you get disciplined yourself. Correct. And for those people that may not have the discipline within their life, or they have not grown up or have that instilled in them at this point, are there things that they can do to start build discipline into their life? There's actually something very simple, but it's so complex that people aren't willing to do it. They have to find their why. Why am I doing this? And for me, I wanted to see my you know daughters and younger son grow up and get married and be launched into it, maybe even see their grand, the grandkids from them. Well, there's no way I was going to do that in, in my current uh, condition with, you know, borderline high hypertension, not hypertension, but high blood pressure. But the people have to find their why. And if they don't have a strong enough why, they will not get out of bed to accomplish. Discipline won't get them out of bed to, to get that target reached. So that's the first thing. Find your why. That's great. I know you said that's the first thing. Are there other pieces? Certainly. There is a Japanese method of creating a habit where you start with a minute a day. You could do pretty much anything for a minute. And the next day you add another minute. And then the next day you add another minute. So by day seven, you're doing whatever it is for seven minutes, as opposed to I couldn't do this before. And I think what people need to do is one, be realistic in their expectations and two, not compare themselves to anyone else. They need to compare themselves to their own performance. And is my performance today better than my performance yesterday? Yes or no. That's a great motivator to keep you going. And for people that say, I don't know what the out of shape really means. Everyone's in a shape. Some people just have round as a shape and that's not desirable. And other people have, you know, a, another shape like a V or, or a, a, an H. So psychologically speaking, when people say, I want to lose weight, I'd like you to think of one other thing you like to lose, Chris. Name one. Hmm. You like to lose your keys, your wallet, your no. mind, your mind. I don't think I want to lose any of that. Yeah. I don't know if there's any other thing. I mean, it, it, well, exactly. Maybe. And and maybe. here here's where I'm trying to get with that psychological point. Human beings don't like to lose anything. They like to, if anything, they like to hoard. So by virtue of saying in the beginning, I need to lose weight, you've already you've already psychologically sabotaged yourself because you are programmed not to lose things. You like to keep things. So the reframe is, I'm not going to lose weight, but I'm going to gain health, or I will gain lean body mass, or I will gain something else, not I'm going to lose this, is something that's actually a lot more powerful than you, than you would think. Such great points and definitely things that, that I think everyone has to be thinking about. You know, it's definitely not an easy thing, um, but you have to be committed to it. And you have to, I, I like the concept that you said about you have to know your why. You have to realize and figure out for yourself, why are you doing this and why is it important for you? Um, you figure that out for yourself. You saw that in your mind's eye you know, where you wanted to be when your daughter was graduating from high school and you saw yourself in that audience or, or with her in that way, you know, and I think each and every one of us has to see that same thing. And that is definitely something that will help to build that discipline, but will also motivate you. And, and I think that in my mind, I see that it is, it is critical to have discipline, but you also have to have that discipline will, will 
help you to be motivated, but you also have to be motivated to be able to do that too. So I think they they really fit well together, but it's interesting the difference that you bring into that too, because I wouldn't have thought of it that way. The other thing that I tried to keep in mind is you're doing all this work. It's very, very important that you reward yourself and that keeps the motivation going. Say for instance, you eat clean for a week. Hey, you know what? Have a junk day. Have, have Eat whatever you want on one day of the week. And as you become more fit, your choices of the junk you choose will become drastically different. The help because you're like, I really don't, you know, I can, but I really don't want to put that in my body. I don't need, you know, half of a sheet cake or whatever. It's like, no, I'd rather, maybe I'd rather just have a small slice of cake and, uh, you know, an apple or, or whatever. But you'll find that your your mindset changes as you start to see things in your body, like maybe uh, a rib or something like that that you haven't seen for a long, long time. And so it's, it's important to keep your motivation up to allow yourself to be rewarded. And apparently, you know, and obviously positive self-talk is always, always helpful. You have to eliminate all the negative self-talk, recognize it and replace it with something positive because, you know, <laughs> most of us, when it comes to negative self-talk, if we talk to other people like we talk to ourselves, we wouldn't have any friends in our life. <laughs> you know, it's hard. I mean, that that is definitely hard. Self-talk is can be a downfall of many people. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it, it goes back to some of the affirmations that, that sometimes people say that you should do every day, mm-hmm. that to help to get your self-talk moving in the right direction. And I don't know that that always comes naturally to everyone, but I think that it it definitely has a psychological effect on the way that we see ourselves and the way that we can help our own kids to see themselves. Because if we're not seeing ourselves in a positive way and we're speaking po- negatively about ourselves, our kids are going to start doing the same thing. Which brings up a quick quote that I like is when it comes to parenting, parents, your actions scream so loudly, your children cannot hear what you are saying. I'm just going to let that sit in for there for a second, because that, that is a powerful quote. That is a powerful statement. And, and, and definitely something that I think that every person needs to really hear and be able to think about. And I, Nate, I really appreciate you sharing that. Now, we always finish our interviews with what we like to call our fatherhood five, where we ask you five questions to delve deeper into you as a parent. Are you ready? Certainly. In one word, what is fatherhood? Love. When was the time that you felt like you finally succeeded as a father to a daughter? When I got her to go brush her teeth by me saying it's time to go brush your teeth and not having to get her to the bathroom, not ha- you know physically walking there, her there by the hand. That sometimes takes some time. <laughs> I'm just keeping it real. <laughs> yeah, you are. How would your kids describe you as a dad? Big. That's what they're always saying, big. Well, <laughs> well, let's see. I make them laugh a lot, so they, they tell me I'm funny. They also tell me, through body language, I'm imposing. How about that? I could I could become imposing with words or a look. But they always say, let's go have fun today, Dad. And we do. And are we going to have fun tomorrow? Of course we are. And do we have and I homeschool my kids too. So I'm around them all the time. And which is just an absolute blessing uh, in my life. And I would say strict in some regards. 
but I don't know. Maybe you could ask him. I'll go. <laughs> I'll record the response and send it to you, Chris. <laughs> I'll have my wife ask him the question and record it. I might be surprised. <laughs> you, you might be. I'm pretty sure I would be. Now, who inspires you to be a better dad? My future self inspires me to be a better dad. And what I mean by that is through my constant development and growing and caring and sharing and, and being grateful for what I have, I know that the I have an idea of the person I want to become, and that takes effort. And once I become that person, then the person I want to become, I'll, I'll have to look for him again. But you always have where you are, then a gap, and then that mountaintop you want to go to. You got to cross the gap, get to the mountaintop. Once you get to that other peak, it's like, oh, I, I, I couldn't even see these other possibilities. Wow, I, I want to be that. So my future self is inspiration for me as a father. I don't know if you ever got that one before. No, I didn't, which is great. And that's why I always ask these questions because it, it seems like I'm always getting different answers. Super. Now, what advice would you give to other dads? At the very basis of fatherhood, if you keep one end fed and the other end clean, you are winning when it comes to babies. Advice to dads is don't be so hard on yourself. You're going to make mistakes, but you know what? Kids will do well regardless of your efforts. <laughs> I mean, they're really, really resilient. But, you know, if you come from a place of love, wherever you are interacting with anybody, actually, but really it's it, it's it's so easy to get frustrated with kids because they're not getting it or it takes them longer because it's for the first time they've tried. You know what? Patience. What are you hurrying for? What what You, you can't make an oak tree giant overnight. You have to wait for it. And much like a child turning into a, an adult, you can't force that process. So, be patient with yourself. Don't compare yourself to anybody else and keep one in fed, the other in clean. And you're, you're ahead of the game. <laughs> so true. So true. Now, one of the things that we didn't talk about is that you and your wife have a magazine that you, that you put out there to help first-time parents called the First Time Parent Magazine. Tell me about that and where that came from and why you decided to start it. Okay, a little background. My wife was the IT manager for the School of Nursing for the University of Alaska. So pretty important job. So she has a computer degree, a, a computer science degree and a networking. She, she's a what your, your classic computer geek, okay? So when she found out that she was pregnant, she started just, I'm talking the amount of data that she was collecting for pregnancy, whether it's her day of pregnancy, the fetal development, best diet for her, you name it. She was, and she's very, very healthy, very, very fit. Uh, she's my farm girl. She's my farm girl, my, my strong girl, but uh, she grew up on a farm. <laughs> she's strong as could be. But anyways, so she was just, just collating and gathering all of this data. And I said, well, you know what? If it's relevant to you, there's probably a couple other people out there where it'd be relevant to as well. And that's where First Time Parent Magazine started eight years ago, downloaded in 120 different countries around the world. And uh, one of the most interesting places that we saw our app downloaded was Nepal. It's a magazine that talks about things that most other magazines talk about in like two to three months. She's she's cutting edge in what she her research, all the scientists and clinicians we have on board after seven years is eye-watering, absolutely eye-watering. The resources that she has garnered, it's it's absolutely staggering. And I'd like to say that I want to say every person that has contributed to 
uh, our magazine or as part of our clinicians who we constantly refer to is a parent. This theory works great. Just like Mike Tyson said, your theory is good till you get punched in the mouth. <laughs> and all that theory in the world's great till that first baby shows up. You look down and you're like, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> There's no manual. That's right. There's no exact manual, but but having having resources like this is definitely important. Now, um, is this a magazine that people pay for? Is it a no. free resource? No, it's, it, it is a free resource. You could go to iOS or the Play Store, firsttimepayermagazine.com. We're also we're in the process of morphing it into something else where we're going to provide a lot more value in a member's area, and that's uh, that's just around the corner. But it's been a free publication for uh, seven and a half years. And it's just putting value out there that, I mean, if you just read one of an ar- one of the articles that she puts out, you're, you, it, you just, you're usually, I'm usually like, wow, my mouth's open going. I had no idea I had that much influence over my child's genetic expression. For instance, if I go to the January 2020 and we talked about genes and, and anyways, we're, we we deal on health issues. We deal on keeping it real. We deal on you know what you can do to better your place in the world and make the world a better place, uh, because that's I, I think that's the touchstone of being a human. If you could leave this place better than you found it, your life was worthwhile. You know that's a great place to end today. Now, if people want to find out more about the magazine, about you, where should they go? You could go to firsttimeparentmagazine.com on the interwebs. Uh, Major Dad Official. I have a podcast, and it's under Major Dad Official on Libsyn, and I have a YouTube channel. But I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna get away from YouTube, and I'm gonna try to uh, not try. I will migrate to Spotify because that's that'll that's a platform that has I think a little bit more freedom of use. First Time Parent Magazine is the place to start. And uh, the the amount of resources we have is just incredible. The amount of content we have is incredible. You'll even, when you go to the website, when you enter your name and email, we're going to give you 50 plus tips and tricks from the editor that she's learned over the last eight years on uh, baby, toddler, and infant. Things that you're like, wow, you got to be kidding me. I, I didn't know that. A lot of value out there. Just moving the free line and getting the value out there to people who need it. Well, Major Dad Official, (laughs) Nate Kelsey, I am so excited to be able to have you on today to get to know you more, but also for everyone to get to know you more. I really appreciate everything that you've shared today. We've talked about a little bit of everything, but but I, I wish you all the best and appreciate what you're doing to help dads be better dads. That's what's important. And the better the dad is, the better the product, i.e. the child is. The better the dad and the mom, the better the product of a, of a fully functional adult is what you know all society wants, a fully functional adult. If you've enjoyed today's episode of the Dads with Daughters podcast, we invite you to check out the Fatherhood Insider. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual, and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. 
We're all in the same boat And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals We buy them presents Bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen Carpenters and muscle men Get out and be the world to them Be the best dad you can be Be the best dad you can be